and make your way back to your seats. This morning, uh, my name is Justin, I'm one of the pastors here, and if we haven't had the chance to meet, I hope we can do that soon. Uh, it is it's great to be with you this morning to be able to worship. For those of you that are gathering online, we're sad that you're not able to be here, but grateful for technology and that we can still gather even at a distance through that. Uh, Stephanie, thank you for sharing about the update from our trip. It really was a wonderful time visiting Kim. I've known Kim for about 10 years. And so being able to go spend time with her and see her thriving in this new place uh, was a joy to my heart. So thank you for sending us, allowing us the time away to go. Uh, she was very, very encouraged by it, very thankful for it uh, and thankful for our church. So we look forward to more opportunities to serve alongside her. And the church there is doing really, really well. Uh, so continue to pray for that church, that body of believers. I love that we uh, here in Fairfax, the nations have come here. There's people from all over the world here, but also in the city that we were in, the nations are there. We met people from all over the place there and the gospel is going forward. So praise God for that. We're going to jump into God's word here in a moment, but before we do that, let me pray for our time in the scriptures. Holy and mighty and awesome God, you are good and you are gracious. You are faithful and you are unchanging. And God, I pray that you'd help us today to see that and to actually believe it to be true. Not only in this moment, but throughout our week and throughout our lives. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make your word come alive and that you would draw us near to you today. May we find a joy and peace in the truth of who you are and what that means for our lives. And God, that you would send us out to tell the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A friend of mine that I, uh, that I went to college with, man, he loves a good deal. A good deal. I remember one time he bought two new pairs of shoes because there was a sign in the store that said, buy one, get one 50% off. And I said, man, that is a good deal. You needed some new shoes? And he was like, no, I didn't need new shoes. But I can't pass up a deal like that. Got hooked. And I think all of us can appreciate a good deal. But sometimes a deal seems too good to be true. And sometimes they are too good to be true. We've all seen the little asterisk that's next to the word 50% off or free. Right? Like there it is right there. That little dot next to off. And where do you learn about what's that little asterisk is for? In the very fine print below. It subtly tells you there's more to know. And the fine print are where all the catches are and the exceptions to the amazing deal are spelled out. Where you learn that free doesn't always mean free. Or that that deal is only available in the store on odd number Tuesdays when there's a full moon. You know, sometimes I, I think that we can look at the good news of the gospel and we can think there's there, there, that there's an asterisk next to that as well. You know, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. It tells us that all of us have rebelled against the holy God, that we've sought to go our own way, where we've declared ourselves to be the sovereign of our own lives, that we reject God. We don't need him or his authority in our life. And there's a consequence for that. The consequence for our rebellion is spiritual and physical death. It's separation from God. We're not able to be in relationship with him and we don't even want to be. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to rescue us from our sin by dying on the cross in order to reconcile us to God. And all you have to do to receive this free gift is place your faith and trust in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. That sounds amazing. 
Now, if you're not yet a Christian, you may be thinking, well, there has to be a catch to that. There has to be that little asterisk next to the word free gift. There has to be more. Nothing in this life is free. I mean, there has to be something that we have to do in order to be reconciled to God, to earn a right standing with him. But the thing is, even if you're already a Christian, a person who's placed his or her faith in Jesus, you might sometimes think the same thing. Maybe not overtly. You could share the gospel, you could articulate the gift of grace to you, but functionally you portray or let on to the fact that this is what you actually believe in and how you live and how you approach God. Wondering if or believing there's something you need to do in order to be accepted by him, to continue to be accepted by him. Something you need to add to what Jesus has already done. You know, the reality is it can be discouraging seeking to follow Jesus in a broken world. And in those moments of discouragement or difficulty, we can feel tempted to wander away or to think that the gospel and grace really are too good to be true. There might be a lot of reasons that we could be prone to think this way or live this way, but one of the most significant reasons is we often doubt the heart of God. We often doubt the heart of Jesus for us. We're not really sure, really confident that he really is for us and with us. That's why I'm thankful that we're in this Advent season and that we're doing this sermon series called God With Us, where we're looking at the heart of Jesus. We're seeking to understand his heart towards us, the one who came to us as one of us to rescue us. And so today we're going to drop into three verses in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, if you've never taken time to read through the letter of Hebrews or it's been a while, I'd encourage you to make a plan in 2022 to do that. It's a letter that's written to a church that's struggling. Like us, they're, they're trying to follow Jesus, but it's hard. They're being tempted to turn away from Jesus or tempted to add to what Jesus has done. It's a temptation we can all face to find our hope in someone else, to find our hope in something else that the world promises to us. And the author is seeking to help them. He's seeking to help us see that though following Jesus in a world that's set against him is hard, Jesus really is better. He's better than anything the world offers and anything the world promises. And in our text today, what we'll see is that there's not only no asterisks next to the good news of the gospel, but that Jesus' saving work didn't end at the cross that he's continuing to work in your life and my life today, even now in this moment, as messy as it might be. And it's a work that's rooted in his heart for you and towards you. And church, we need to hear the truth of this text. I know I do. Even last night, having a, a rough moment with my kids where I was provoking them to anger and feeling frustrated with them and just thinking, God, I need your grace. I need your help. I don't know what to do. So my hope for you today, my hope for me today, is that we'll actually leave here and head into this week with a greater peace in the midst of all the messiness that life is. Whatever is going on in your life right now, knowing that when you fail and when you falter, you don't have to reluctantly come to God. You don't have to hide from him, but you can run to him with joy because you know what Jesus has done and what he is doing in your life right now. So let's dive into Hebrews chapter seven this morning and may God bless the preaching of his word. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter seven, verses 23 through 25. Let me read our text for us. 
The author writes this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, one of the ways that this original audience was tempted to wander away from Jesus or to add to the things that Jesus has done was to kind of default back to trying to live under the law and the system of the law, the sacrificial system, where they went to the temple and the priests interceded for them and they offered sacrifices over and over again. They were tempted to fall back into an idea of checking boxes and following rules. And so when we come to Hebrews chapter 7, the author is in the middle of telling us how Jesus is better than all of that. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's better than the Old Testament priesthood. In fact, Jesus is a priest from a different line altogether. See, in the Old Testament, the priests, they descended from the family line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. But Jesus isn't a part of that family line. He's from a different line So the author's telling us the source of his priesthood comes from a different place. What this means, he tells us in verse 22, is that this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, a better promise and commitment from God, one that lasts forever and is even more far-reaching than the old one. And then we come to our three verses today, three verses that show us more of the heart of Jesus toward people like you and me right now. First, we see that Jesus continues forever. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from coming, continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now, what exactly is it that a priest does? Well, through the sacrificial system set up in the Old Testament, the priest mediates. They intercede. They stand in between. The priest represents God to the people and the people to God. Because of sin, we're separated from God. We can't stand in his presence. And so God set up this structure, this method for people to be able to relate to him. But they had to come through this mediator, this interceder who would stand before them. But the reality is the priest also had to do a work and a sacrifice for themselves because they still sinned and needed God's grace. Aaron was the first high priest over God's people. And there were at least 83 high priests who served from Aaron to the fall of the second temple in 70 AD. 83. Now, this isn't up in the temple at the time, but you can imagine if you've been into an organization or a company where there's a wall of portraits of all the leaders of that company or that organization. You can imagine the temple, if they had something like that, there'd be Aaron's picture and then the next one and 83 of them out on the wall. Why? Because they lived and they died. No one continued in this office in perpetuity. And see, if a priest dies and is gone, he's no longer able, he's no longer available to fulfill this role. He has to be replaced by someone else who can. And that's a normal thing. It's a part of life. It happens in life today. There's new presidents, new kings, new CEOs. You and I live in a world of impermanence. Nothing lasts forever. Not our stuff, not our relationships, our health, our looks. The Old Testament priesthood, it provided a constant reminder of death and the need of redemption. 
Because even the person that was representing you to God and God to you could not endure forever. But not Jesus. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because Jesus continues forever. Jesus died and he rose again, the author says, to an indestructible life. There's no succession plan with Jesus. See, with the succession of the priests, there were changes and differences, sometimes good, sometimes bad. You didn't know what you were going to get. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is consistent and he's constant. And because of that, he's able to do something no other priest could ever do. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Look at the beginning of verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. The word consequently is key. The author is saying to us that because Jesus continues forever, he's able to save to the uttermost. Because of who he is, the risen king, the perfect priest, the eternal son who offered himself in our place for our sin, he is able to save. What is it that he saves us from? We're saved from the wrath of God. God's righteous reaction to our heinous rebellion That when we said we would go our own way and do our own thing, it deserves death. But God rescues us from that by sending his son. But I don't want us to miss something. In Jesus and through Jesus, we're saved from the consequences of our sin, but we're also saved to something. We're saved to a restored, reconciled relationship with God, the God of all creation, to the one who our sin estranged us from, But now, by grace, through faith, we've become his children and he our father. That is amazing news of amazing grace. But one of the most significant things about this text is that Jesus isn't able to merely save. Like just barely save. No, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. And what exactly does that mean? And how does it reveal more of the heart of Christ? I don't know about you, but uttermost is not a word that I use very often. It has to do with time and distance, with capacity and extent. It means both comprehensive and eternal. It has the the sense of an exhaustive wholeness. So when it says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, it means that Jesus is able to save completely. He's able to save fully because he isn't going anywhere. Why does this matter? Because, as Dane Ortland says in the book Gentle and Lowly, we are to the uttermost sinners. Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. Salvation was accomplished. Your sin was paid for. But the reality is all of us still struggle with sin. We're, we're still sim- tempted to, towards stealing God's glory, to chasing after less glorious things in this world, shiny things, things we think will make us happy. We're still drawn away towards disobedience and false worship. We're still in need of a savior who saves to the uttermost. But the problem is, even if you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you can be tempted to feel the need to add to what he's done. Like starting to think that he gets the ball close to the goal line, but you're the one who has to get it across. That you have to do something to help it out. But that's not what it says, and that's not who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't leave you to yourself to finish the job. He doesn't say, okay, looks like you've got it from here. 
I'll let you take it the rest of the way home. I'll let you finish it up. No, from beginning to end, it's Jesus' doing, not ours. Archbishop William Temple said this, all is of God, all is of God. The only thing of my very own which I can contribute to my own redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. That's why Advent's so important. It allows us to be reminded and in awe of the reality that Jesus willingly came. He willingly came to us to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. He didn't demand that we come up to him. We couldn't. And honestly, we wouldn't. We wanted to go our own way, but Jesus came to seek and to save us. Jesus came to seek and to save you. He alone is the one who's able to save to the uttermost, to save fully and completely now and forever because he lasts forever. But did you notice the tense of the word? It doesn't say he saved to the uttermost, but that he's able to save to the uttermost. This is a present reality. He is able to save you at each critical moment. And he's unlimited in his ability to meet your every need. Man, if we're honest, we all have areas of our lives we aren't sure that God's grace can reach. There's those places in the deep parts of your heart, the dark corners of your life, where you're like, I believe in God's grace, but I don't know if it's sufficient for that part of it. I don't know if God can actually change me. I don't know if I can actually overcome that. I'm wrestling with this sin. I'm wrestling with unbelief. And I just don't know that grace goes that far. The reality is we can hear a truth like this on a Sunday, even lifting our hands in praise and thanksgiving, but struggle to remember it or struggle to believe it on Tuesday or late at night on a Thursday. See, our struggle comes down to whether we believe it's possible or not, whether we believe it's needed or not. So let me ask you, what do you believe? Not just with what you say with your mouth, but what do you actually functionally believe when you've stumbled or fallen into that same sin again? When you're in conflict with your spouse or your family member or your friend, in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, racked with worry or shame, when your health is failing, when you're unsure of how you're going to make ends meet, when you're struggling at work or trying to figure out what in the world to do with your life, what do you believe? What do you believe? Can Jesus save you fully and completely? Can he save you to the uttermost? Is his grace sufficient for you? Or do you think that you need to fix things on your own? For some, I wonder, do you actually believe you need that kind of full, total, holistic saving? Or are you still believing that you're good enough, that you've done enough, that you know enough to be okay, that that part of your life is off limits to Jesus. Listen, I want you to get this. I want you to believe this. I want to believe this. And I want to get this in my own life, not just in this moment, but throughout my life. His grace doesn't go, ah, stop. Insufficient funds. The grace has run out. No. As Dane Ortland writes, to the uttermost means God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls. Those places where we are most ashamed and most defeated. That means his saving and redeeming grace is sufficient for all your sin and all your suffering. And it's for all people. 
There is nothing you or anyone can do to exhaust Jesus' ability to save and redeem. No one is too far gone. No one is out of reach of this kind of grace. Jesus is able to save you when you're at your lowest and at your highest. He's able to save you when you're finding your identity and the promises and the things of this world. He's able to save you in the midst of all of your sin, no matter how wicked it might be. Ortland again says, he knows us to the uttermost and he saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. Simply put, Jesus is able to save no matter who you are or what you've done. How? Because he continues forever. He has no limitations. In him, there's plentiful redemption. But do you notice how he does this? Look at the rest of verse 25. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This gets to his heart for you. I don't know about you, but we, I think we tend to think about what Jesus did. But Jesus' intercession for you is about what he's doing right now. To intercede is to stand between, to mediate, to, to pray, to come before the Father. That's what the priest does. He mediates between God and humanity. Jesus does that for us now, but he does it in an ongoing way. He alone. We don't need anybody else to do it. We need this because we still sin. We still struggle. And his intercession applies in an ongoing way what his work accomplished on the cross. He intercedes for you, not because the Father is reluctant, not because the Father's begrudging. Let's not forget the Father sent the Son to us to rescue us. No, Jesus intercedes for you because his heart is warm towards you, personally and individually. He knows you by name. He knows everything about you inside and out. And he comes before the Father on your behalf. I mean, Jesus could have gone to the cross out of duty, but he willingly went out of love and joy. And it's his intercession for you that shows you that his heart is continued towards you. His kindness is continuing to be for you. He still loves you. We heard from Mark two weeks ago, that Jesus is the one who's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and supplies mercy and grace to help in time of need. But here we see that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. When, when I leave someone or something, my affection for that person or place can start to dissipate over time. Right? It's not in the forefront of my mind. I get occupied by other things. I'm not with them, I'm not in that place. And so I start to think about other things, get distracted by other things, not Jesus. Now Jesus' heart is still for you. It never wanes, it never grows dim. I mean, think about this. We often tell people that we'll pray for them, right? Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But not Jesus. Jesus always intercedes for you. He always does this because he's always faithful. This is his heart for you. Jesus is never out to lunch. He's never on vacation. There's no out of office email auto response from Jesus. No request for you to come back later or try again tomorrow. Unlike all the other priests who went before, Jesus never retires. 
That Jesus never needs to be replaced. He never gets tired. He doesn't need a smoke break or a walking break or to take a nap or to do any kind of break. There really is no asterisk next to his ability and his promise to save you and intercede for you. You never have to wonder if he's not going to do that. Our risen king's always intercession is how you know that he and he alone will save you to the uttermost. Romans 8.34 says, who is to condemn? Do you ever feel condemned? Crushed by life? Unsure of your standing before God? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us, for you? Listen to me. Jesus gladly stands before the Father for you. He gladly stands before the Father for you. And he does so without end to ensure a never-failing acceptance before our holy God. Dane Ortland again says, our sinning goes to the uttermost, but his saving goes to the uttermost. And his saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning because he always lives to intercede for us. Brothers and sisters, there is no chance that his grace will run out or his interceding will cease because it's anchored in who he is in his heart toward you now and forever. So what are we supposed to do with this? In the practical part of our life, how does this truth impact our lives here and now? You know, when we get discouraged in this life, we get discouraged in following Jesus, we can start to doubt who he is, wondering if he really is enough. But the truth of this text is a gift of grace to remind and refresh us of the heart of Jesus for us. I mean, think about this. What is Jesus doing for you right now? He's interceding before the Father for you right now. And he was also doing it last week. And he was also doing it last night. And he's going to do it tomorrow. And the moment after that, he won't stop until you are all the way home. Brother and sister, I hope that comforts you. I hope that you can actually know that and believe that for your life, that you can know that there is no asterisk next to Jesus' grace for you. His heart is never ceasing. It's never failing. It's always compassionate, always sympathetic. Jesus' heart is to strengthen the weak, to sustain the weary, to persuade the skeptical, to assure the doubter, to call back the wayward and complete the good work that he has begun in you. So what do you do when you wake up tomorrow morning or find yourself in the middle of the week feeling discouraged or feeling disheartened? You come back to the truth of this text and you remember that you have a never quitting high priest, a never quitting high priest who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, for you. Now in all of this, there isn't a command mentioned but we do have a part to play. This is for those who draw near to God through him. So let me ask you, have you drawn near to God through Jesus? If you haven't, I wanna encourage you this Advent season to do just that. Jesus came into this world to bring light and life in places of darkness and death in our world and in your own life. You are not here by mistake today. You're not watching online by mistake today. God is at work in your life to bring you to this point and place to understand your need for redemption, your need for salvation, for restoration and reconciliation. It's in Jesus and through Jesus that you can experience this. 
So call to him and come to him today. He is able to save you to the uttermost. For others, you would say, well, I'm a Christian, so yes, I've drawn near to God through Jesus. And that's wonderful. We celebrate that. But I wonder, are you still doing that? Are you still drawing near to God through Christ? A way to figure that out in your own life is to think about when life is difficult or challenging, where or who do you run to the most? Is it to the one who's able to save to the uttermost and lives to intercede for you? Or is it someone or something else? If we're honest, it isn't always Jesus. I know that's true for me. I don't always believe Jesus is able. I don't always believe Jesus is better. I don't always believe Jesus is for me. But just like the original audience, I need to be reminded of who he is. I need to be reminded of his heart for me. You need to be reminded as well to help you realize Christ's present ability, right now ability, to help you face the realities of your life and your circumstances, no matter what they might be. See, your ongoing confession that Jesus is Lord is a confession that he's able to save you in the present and to the end. And that he wants to because his heart and his posture is forever toward you. So let me encourage you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, journey to draw near to God through him. Draw near to him through his word. Open up his living and active word. Spend time, read Hebrews at the beginning of 2022. Understand who Jesus is and how he's better. Draw near to him through honest prayer. That you come and be honest about what you're thinking and what you're feeling and where you're struggling, not feeling like you have to clean up how you pray. Go to him with all the emotions and trust that he's interceding for you. Draw to him, closer to him through his people. It's so important to be around God's people, to have people in your life that can help you remember who Jesus is in his heart towards you. Listen, some of you are weary right now. Our world is weary because of our sin, because of our circumstances. Some of you are downcast and heavy hearted. Some of you are distracted. Some of you are drifting and distant or feeling apathetic or preoccupied. Some of you are acutely tempted by the things of the world. But listen to me, no matter what's going on in your life, whether life is going great for you right now or is a terrible mess, the heart of Jesus is open to you. And he is inviting you to commune with him and with the Father and with the Spirit. Earlier we sang, O come all you unfaithful, Come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. Oh, come, guilty and hiding ones. There's no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Listen, the work of Jesus isn't something that remains in the distant past. It's something happening right now. So when you sin and when you doubt and when you don't feel like it, Draw near to God, knowing that he will not cast you away because your great forever high priest is able to save you to the uttermost since he always is interceding for you. His heart is continually for you and towards you. There's no asterisk next to the free gift of grace given in and through him. That's what we celebrate during Advent. That's the good news that's not too good to be true. Amen. One way we can come to him now is by taking communion together.
And so if you don't yet have the elements, you can find them in the back on the bottom floor here or along the railing if you're in the balcony.